No, that's me. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your holy throne this morning again, Lord, to participate in the worship that you have ordained for yourself. The worship by yourself of yourself. For no man can render to you the worship that is due you by yourself. For you alone know the worth of your glory. And you alone can worship yourself because you are worthy of self-worship. But we, when we worship ourselves, we worship ourselves as creatures, as sinners who are not worthy of any glory. So Lord, we pray that you grant us the grace that we may worship you through the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. In his exaltation, may Christ be exalted in the preaching of his gospel, in the gathering of his people. May they see him high and lifted, and them on the foot of the cross. We pray and we thank you, for Lord, for all those that you've gathered here this morning. May you cause them to hear from you, not from me. May your spirit teach them and reveal the things of Christ to them and give it to them, that they may possess them by faith, that they may see their life that is hidden in Christ Jesus. We pray for all those that you have given to listen to these messages, the brothers and sisters who are out there that you have called to hear what you have given me to share. Lord, be with them also as they listen. May you grant them the knowledge of Christ and Lord, may you also grant them salvation if you are so pleased. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. John eight twenty one to 26. John eight twenty one to 26. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who has sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. The word of the Lord. The title of our sermon is, You will die in your sins. You die in your sins. Or, I'm sure you're waiting for the second one. You are from beneath. You are 
from beneath. Or if you still have ink. Just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. That's going to be a long title. It won't make it to our website. Sermon is about Jesus. And his gospel. And so we need to listen carefully. And hear what the Lord has given me. I'm going to be all over the place. Before we get to the text. The gospel of John. Is brilliant. It just is a brilliant gospel. And I get overwhelmed by the magnificence of the theology as I am reading and preparing. I'm like, okay, where are we going to stop now? I, I, I am just overwhelmed by the magnificence of the theology and the way that the Holy Spirit inspired the writing through the apostle. But the book is brilliant not because of the literal style. It is brilliant because of the one that it testifies of. The Son of God made flesh. It is brilliant because of his work that it testifies of. And it is brilliant in the simplicity of the gospel that it testifies of. The gospel that says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That's his message. It is so simple and straightforward, and yet many stumble at this message. Believe in the Son of God, and you shall be saved. But many say, that is too simple, John. Jesus, that's so easy. You have to give us something to do. I don't eat anything for free. <laughs> I have to wash some dishes. And maybe tip Jesus for a good meal. The book of John is not a how-to book. It is an invitation to enter into the life of God in Christ Jesus. It is an invitation into life and justification by a seizing of your own working. It is not for settling earthly matters but heavenly matters. The whole Bible is about showing you how to tread in heavenly matters. Not to tread on Wall Street. Even though we can have a financial university seminar here next week. Make sure you show up at 8. In this gospel, you tread your sin for righteousness in Christ alone by faith. Christ alone is the legal tender. Christ alone is the legal tender of righteousness. So the book of John is not a recipe book of how to make hot chicken wings, brother Robert. Or to make our good lives better. It is not an ethics book. 
which means it does not have much for you to do. So it may become boring if your heart is not set on the glory of Christ. The gospel stinks to those who are perishing. That's according to Apostle Paul. The book of John does not give the seven steps to a happy marriage or raising godly children. These are very good, but are not salvation. And they do not solve your wilderness problems, your darkness problem, your filthy garments problem, your leprosy problem, your hemorrhage problem, your blindness problem, your problems as one who is from beneath, from below. Jesus is going to tell us and say, sinners are people who are from beneath. That is below. That is people who inhabit a spiritually dead world. And we have much things to say and connect and then get to what Jesus was talking about. Jesus Christ came to solve problems that are way bigger than you, problems that are beyond your budget to solve. And yet the problems are about you and God. You have a God problem. And that is you have a sin problem. Your soul needs redemption. The message of the gospel is a message of redemption. Your soul needs to be saved from death. Your soul needs life. Not biological life. You need spiritual life. For the flesh profits nothing. But the redemption of your soul is so costly that the resources and worth of this world combined are insufficient. To exchange or redeem a single soul from the prison of sin and death. And why is that so? Because the one that we sinned against is infinitely holy and righteous. And that means the payment of sin has to be by one who is infinitely holy and righteous to make satisfaction. And that is why Jesus would say in Mark 8, verses 36 and 37, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Why shall a man give in exchange for their soul if this question was being asked in whatever is called gospel preaching, all the preaching will be different. Because this question is what gives you the reason why Christ was revealed. It is a question that is not being asked. And, and that is why people minimize the glory of the grace of God in their salvation. 
they think God still owes them more than the salvation that is in Christ. They think salvation, free justification in Christ is not enough for them. It's not enough of a blessing until God kicks in some more by giving them a good job and a car and whatever else. And many people think they have enough goodness to exchange for their souls. Many think they have enough goodness to help grace to work in their lives. And that is why people assume to know grace. They assume they have grace before they have possessed grace. What they don't know is they need grace to receive grace. For a man, according to John the Baptist, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given them from where? From above. Grace has to show you of your inability to be righteous. Your inability to come to Christ by your own power. Your inability to please God in any way, form, or shape. Grace has to cause you to say with Isaiah, War is me, for I am undone. I am ruined. Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Grace will cause you to see the king high and lifted up. Grace causes one to say with Job, Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. Grace causes one to say with the leper, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Grace causes you to see the sovereign nature of grace. The leper understood the sovereign nature of salvation. So he said to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing. So his being cleansed was dependent on whether Jesus was willing or not. Lord, if you are willing. That is the language of one who knows that they are nothing. Grace has to cause you to feel like you are beginning to sink with Peter. And cry out, Lord, save me. Save me. If you think you can do the law, the law of God, then you have not begun to sink yet. And grace is yet to come, and that is why you are not crying out. If you are sinking, you cry out. And you cry out with good theology. Lord, save me. When Jonah was in trouble, what did he say? Salvation is of the Lord. That's grace. That was the making of a sovereign grace preacher in Jonah. The making of a sovereign grace preacher in Peter. Lord, save me. If you think you can do the law, then grace is yet to show you that you are a leper. 
You may preach and talk about it to others, but it has yet to come to your house. The ice cream van may have come through your street, but not the truck with grace. Not the truck with grace. When grace shows up, one sees only leprosy in themselves. And it is only lepers who sing amazing grace. Lepers don't run to the law for cleansing. The law condemns them as unclean. They run to Christ where they are fully healed. And where Christ touches them with his own hands. The law is not your friend. It will never hug you. Because you have leprosy. It can only condemn you. It will always command you to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. It is only those who are bleeding to death and have run out of resources to heal themselves who can earnestly sing, grace is amazing because it saved a wretch like me. You see, we have to restore the meaning of amazing. People use it for everything. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, that phone is amazing. Oh, oh, your hair is amazing. That's not amazing. Grace is amazing. Grace can only cause you to glory in Christ alone. If you are not yet glorying in Christ alone, then grace is yet to make it to your doorstep. Do you hear me? If you are not yet glorying in Christ alone, then grace is yet to come. It may have taken a detour. (laughs) And I pray it will resume its journey towards you and that it won't delay. But the gospel of mixed fabrics that is in many pulpits and churches says, come to Christ to batter for salvation with your own works and grace will make up for any deficit, any shortfall. And that is false. Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And that is a rhetoric question. The correct answer is supposed to be nothing. You have nothing to give in exchange for your own soul. Men have nothing to exchange their soul from condemnation to justification. Sinners have nothing to offer in exchange of their souls. Unless God gives it to them freely in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of Christ alone is the only acceptable legal tender to make a tread in heavenly things. And that is all there is to give and exchange for life. Nothing else. All men are born under sin, death, and condemnation. And these need to be removed in some way if one has to live. We are talking about problems of the below. We are building the background of why Jesus said, you are of the beneath and you die in your sins. If I don't do something for you, I who is not of this world. So all men have a sin problem, 
a death problem and a condemnation problem. So a way has to be found, a transaction that removes sin, a way that goes deeper than the stain has gone. A way which overcomes death with life and a way which removes condemnation and in its place put justification. And that is what the book of John is bringing to you and I. It is bringing salvation in this one who is the son of God. The transaction of death to life, condemnation to justification, is only in this one called the son of God. The whole Bible is about Christ. And the book of John is about Christ. And everything is about Christ. All creation is about Christ. The whole universe is about Christ. The book of John is about the person and work of Christ in salvation. It is about salvation. It is about how God saves sinners from sin and its judgment and death. It is about eschatology. Eschaton, it sounds like a very big word, but it's a very small word. Just eschaton, which means last. Eschatology. Eschatology is about the last things. The final disposal of all things. What is going to happen to you when you die. It is about the new creation. The new beginning. The water into wine. New beginning. That is why that miracle was placed right at the beginning in John chapter 2. And that was the first miracle. Why? Because when this one who is the Logos shows up, he has come to bring about the new beginning, the new creation. So the next thing that Jesus talks about is the new birth. Nicodemus, you must be born again. So eschatology is talking about the birthing again from above. Nicodemus, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. So it is about those things that remain, the things that abide, the things that are not shaken and cannot be shaken. And so the writer of Hebrews would echo that theology, that sentiment, and say in Hebrews 12, 25 to 28. You need to hear that. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 25 to 28. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape, who refused him who spoke on earth? Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. As of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, verse 28. Since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. You too, the exhortation is for you not to refuse him who speaks because the gospel of Jesus Christ is for the shaking of all things and the removal of those things 
that are being shaken, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, far too many Christians, professing Christians, are holding to many things that can be shaken. Holding to things that don't remain. Resting their hope in things that can be shaken, works of self-righteousness. All these things will be shaken and will not hold together. The bottom will not hold. They will get unglued and things will fall apart and their loss will be great. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, has things that cannot be shaken. And this is what Jesus is bringing to us in the book of John, a salvation that is irrevocable and a life that is eternal and an abundant life that is imperishable so that he would say to Martha in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection in the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. The life that he gives remains, even if you die. You always possess it. The solution to sin, death and condemnation is in this one who is the resurrection and the life. And the resurrection and the life has come into the world of those who are dying in the wilderness like Lazarus. The resurrection and the life has come to remove death and in its place put his own life. Lazarus come forth is the command of how all the dead are brought to life. There's no one accepted. There's no one who ever came to Christ outside that command. Genie come forth. That's how he came to Christ. He did not come because he walked the aisle. No one preached John 3.16 to Lazarus. Jesus simply said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus did not say, let me think about that Jesus. Jesus did not knock at Lazarus' tomb. He was not standing outside Lazarus' tomb and knocking and hoping that Lazarus would some way come to his senses and open the door. There's no purpose of knocking on a tomb with a dead person in it. They are never going to open the tomb. They can't hear. That's the problem. They are dead. And so Jesus ordered for the tombstone to be what? To be removed. Every person was dead spiritually like Lazarus was dead physically. And Lazarus did not open the door for Jesus to come in because he was dead. It is Jesus who commanded that the tomb door be opened and he raised Lazarus to life. Lazarus heard from the pulpit of the Logos, not from Benihim. He heard from the pulpit of the Logos. And when the word of God, when the Logos speaks, he speaks life. He speaks life. He speaks life first. The command to have life is a divine command and it is irresistible. You can't resist it when God calls you to life. 
And it is the first command given to all before they can believe the gospel. And before they can bear any fruit. Listen to John 11 verse 44. And he who had died, that is Lazarus, came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Everyone is found dead, spiritually bound, both hand and foot, and the face is covered in the grave with grave clothes. Total inability. That's total inability. But after God has spoken life to them, the next command from him is, loose him. Loose him and let him go. Now they can start to bear fruit. They can start to believe in the gospel. They can repent and come to Christ because they've been made alive. And they've been set loose. Now they can use their hands. They can be fruitful. But the command first is comfort. The command to come forth and setting a bound sinner loose does not come from another creature. It does not come from the preacher. Preachers bring good news to those who are already alive. You could not come to Lazarus' tomb and tell him about some birthday party that you had invited him to. You could not. You could not tell Lazarus any good news that he could hear until he was made alive. So the gospel is only good news to those who have been made alive. If you are not made alive, there's no way that you can hear the gospel as good news. So preachers bring news to those who are already alive. Those who have been set loose. Whose ground has been prepared by the master farmer, God himself. And if you hear my gospel and you think it is good news, it is only because he commanded it. He has already removed your tomb door and made you alive. And this one has come to remove condemnation. And this one has come to give you justification. So that he who has believed in him has already, in the words of Jesus, passed from death unto life. That though they may die like Lazarus, and yet they shall live. You see, Death is really a problem. Jesus wept for Lazarus when he died. Jesus wept for Lazarus because of death. And we have to put the blessing of the gospel in its proper perspective. We have to put the idea of blessing into its proper perspective. True blessing is to find a way to overcome death. That's the only blessing. To find a way to overcome death because death binds you. It binds you in the grave, in the darkness of the grave. And there's none who can help you. And so God would have you to understand that this Christ, the Son of God, is the one who has been given the authority over death. He has the authority and the power to give you life. And so God would have you 
to climb the heights and see the glory and beauty of Christ in serving you. And so sin, death, and condemnation are our real problems. And they are being removed rests in the identity and person of Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. God the Son and His identity and origin is critical if salvation has to be accomplished. For the work of salvation is not a work done by some sincere good man. It is not a work cut out for some brave man who have six packs, some strong man. <laughs> Look at my biceps. It is the work of one who is God, one who is in need of nothing, one who is not from here, one who is not from below, one who is not from this world, one who is not from the dust of this creation, for salvation requires one who is not originally from this below place, one who is not tainted by it, one who only possesses the DNA of God. Jesus Christ could not have the DNA of Mary. The below place is under the dominion of sin. The below place is under the dominion of the evil one. The below place is a place under the dominion of death. The below place is a place where the fear of death reigns because all who are born in it die and never come back. They jog every Sunday morning to try and avoid or delay death. But they don't want to come and hear about him who has overcome death and believe in him. But death can't be delayed. It has been appointed for those who inhabit this below place, the beneath place is a place that is littered with cemeteries. As I was driving to Michigan on US 23, I saw this, this, this huge, it should be in Canton, Ohio, I think, or Sandusky, Upper Sandusky. This huge cemetery. I mean, it's huge. There's a lot of dead people there. And that is the summary of this below place. Everyone who is born into this place goes the same way. They have a tomb waiting for them. The below place is a place of darkness. And as I said, that darkness follows them. It follows its inhabitants even into the grave like it did with Lazarus. The below place is a wilderness. It is a wilderness. And hopeless place. Where its inhabitants are thirsting and dying for lack of righteousness. The below place is a place of death. All die because all sinned. And this is why the below place cannot be lifted from its death and hopelessness. Unless one who is the logos, the lamp, the light and the life of the world, descends to it and gives it life, but to as many as he wills, to as many as has been given him by the Father. 
the dryness in this wilderness of sin cannot be watered unless this one who is from above brings and gives water not from Jacob's well, sister Sarah Samaritan, but water that springs or wells up to eternal life. And you, my brothers and sisters, are people of the below blessed. That's what Jesus is saying. Even if you are rich and cute, you belong to the below blessed. You are people born under condemnation of sin. You are desert sojourners who have no hope or solution to your hunger problems unless the Lord rains manna from heaven. No solution to your test problems unless the Lord brings water out of the rock. Water that came from a rock that had to be smitten by the rod of Moses in Exodus 17. And we are told that when Moses hit the rock with his rod, water gushed out and everyone was filled. And that rock, according to Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, was Christ. And what gushed out was abundant life and righteousness to a thirsting and dying people who were in the wilderness. Are you getting the theology? And what was that rod? It was the rod of Moses. It was the law. It was the law. The rod of Moses is the law that struck the rock, Jesus Christ. It is the law that struck Jesus on the cross because of our sins. But now that the rock has been smitten, there is no need to smite it again because the law was satisfied and we need not strike the rock again, Sister Baker, to bring forth water as Moses did in Numbers 20. Remember, Moses tried to strike the rock again when God had instructed him to go speak to the rock and he got in trouble. I mean, serious trouble. The rock is Christ, is only to be struck one time, punished one time. That's the point. And God was satisfied, and yet there are many professing Christians who are still wielding the rod of Moses on Jesus, trying to strike him again by saying they are saved to carry the rod of Moses. That is to do the law. That is to obey Mount Sinai. They are not understanding this. You have been saved from Mount Sinai. That is the law. That you may drink the waters of where? Of Calvary. As long as you remain on Mount Sinai, you cannot drink the waters of Calvary. If God intended for you to continue to be under the law of Moses, Christ would have been crucified on Mount Sinai. Isaac was not crucified. That attempt to be offered by Abraham did not happen on Mount Sinai. It happened on Mount Calvary. It was Mount Calvary. Mount Moriah. It's because people don't know who Christ is. They don't know what God is teaching about the glory of Christ that they continue to say a lot of foolish things. There is no water, there's no life-giving water until the rock has been smitten. 
But once it has been smitten, that's enough. The law has done its work. But now that the rock has been smitten by God's judgment, you and I now have a solution to our testing problem. We now speak to the rock and water will come out. If you have a righteousness problem, you come and speak to the rock. If you are thirsty, you come and you speak to the rock. You do not use the law to beat it again so as to cause water to come out. If you have a sin issue, you speak to the rock. If you have a justification issue, you speak to the rock. If you have an assurance issue, you speak to the rock. If you have any time of need, you speak to the rock and water will come out. Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may find help in the time of need. As people from beneath, we are actually in the book of John. This is the theology of John. We're going to see it. This is all that John is talking about, as a matter of fact. As people from beneath, you have no solution to your fiery serpent bites. Unless the Lord commands the raising of this bronze serpent onto the pole, that those who were dying may look and be healed. The venom of the serpent killed all those who did not look. And the antidote was not going to the emergency room. The antidote was looking to the raised bronze serpent that had no venom in itself because it was bronze. And the judgment of death was lifted. And the looking was faith. It was believing. It was receiving life. It was the forgiveness of sins that it caused the children of Israel to be beaten in the first place. And so our healing is in looking to this raised Christ who is the son of God, who has no sin in himself. The healing from the venom was speaking to your justification, to your pardon of sin, to a taking away of your sin because sin is what was represented by the venom. Sin was represented by the venom as sin was represented by leprosy. See that it was all in looking. It was all in looking. But many are not satisfied with just a gospel that commands them to look. They are not satisfied to just look at the raised Christ. They want a gospel that says, bring your own scissors. Bring your band aids. Bring your own rubbing alcohol for disinfecting the wound of the snake bite. But sin cannot be removed with a first aid kit but by looking at the one who has been raised. But see what is happening in the church, what is coming from the pulpits, what is being given as the gospel. But the true gospel says, God says, look to the raised bronze serpent and keep looking and it shall be well with you. And this one who was raised was the son of God who said in John 3, Verse 14 and 15, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So what? 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's what God was preaching with the bronze serpent. They were beaten in the wilderness. And the wilderness is a place of the below. And the only way to get healed in the wilderness is by looking to the one that God has given. That the one who is raised up. And Jesus is going to talk about being raised up. We shall know that I am he when I've been lifted up. That's going to be our teaching next week. And this one is he who was the manna from heaven. Who said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. And this is the one who said in John 4.13-14, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So what am I saying? I am saying John is playing back the wilderness themes of Israel. That's all he's doing. This is a rehearsal of the history of Israel. From John chapter 1 up to where we are right now, that's the background that John has. That's what he's talking about. And he is writing and saying all these things find their fulfillment in Jesus. So the history of Israel was about preaching the gospel of Jesus. So you have the wilderness surgeon and all the problems that happened to the children of Israel and the solutions that God gave them to their problems. And John says, guess what? All this is happening in Christ. If you're talking about wilderness issues, hunger, thirst, being beaten, it's all happening in Christ. Giving the water, being raised up, and people looking and getting healed. So this is the one who is standing among them. But they ask and say, but who are you? And Jesus says, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. And if these problems of those who are from beneath have to be solved, they need the appearance of one who is the Logos. The very word of God. The one who created all things. The one who is in the bosom of the Father. The only begotten of the Father. To clothe himself in human flesh. To fit him to die as the Lamb of God. That is to become the sacrifice and the final sacrifice and the only sacrifice that removes or takes away the sin of his people who are in him, given to him by the Father, those who are still in the wilderness of the beloved. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, said John the Baptist. So do you see that statement by John is full of Passover language. It's Old Testament language. It's chock full of the Exodus. And that is substitutionary language. For a lamb was given only to die as a sacrifice and on behalf of a certain people. And so this one who is standing in their midst is above and superior to Moses. For Moses brought the law 
that smites with condemnation, but he brings grace and truth. This one is preferred above all the prophets because he is the son of God and is not like Moses, is not a servant like Moses. And we shall see at the end of this chapter that he is also superior to Abraham before Abraham was, I am. So that's what is happening. And all things have to decrease. He must increase because all things are his servants to testify of his own glory. Moses testified of him. The Father testified of him. The Holy Spirit testified of him. He testified of himself. His works testified of him. His followers and the scriptures all testify of him. And that completed a sevenfold perfect testimony of the Son. And so this one has come to his own creation, even his own people, but his own did not receive him. His people are darkness dwellers who are always arguing with him, trying to overcome the light, but the light could not be overcome. It could not be extinguished. They argue with him just as they did in the wilderness as their fathers did. But his own did not receive him because they did not know him. He was dressed differently than they expected. He clothed himself in humble human flesh. According to Isaiah 53, 2, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. And this is why they stumble at Jesus. And this is why a lot of people are stumbling at the true gospel because they don't see the beauty that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is he who was pictured in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a humble looking construction from outside. It did not have any glamour and no glitter. But inside, if you look at the materials of construction, it was overlaid with gold. And so Christ was clothed outside with humble looking human flesh. But inside, he was overlaid, he was decked with the glory of God. For he was the son of God. The very word of God in the flesh. And so that was the introduction to the book of John. And all these themes, we are going to continue to hear them all the way they are there. That's the background that John is working with. So the father and the son bear witness of this one who is the son according to the law of witness, if you still remember. But these Jews do not believe him. And so Jesus said to them again in verse 21. We are now in our text. Finally, Sister Baker. I am going away and you seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. With everything that I have said, do you see the significance of that statement? Because of all the issues that you have, I am going away. My itinerary says I have to be going back. And you guys cannot come. You can't. You don't have the bus fare. And you don't have the clothes. And you don't have the address. He is going away to the father. 
from where he came from. For heaven is his home. He is not going to be with the Jews in the diaspora or with the unclean Gentiles, the Greeks and the Samaritans, as they proposed. He goes back to where he descended from. But when he goes away, they shall seek him. They shall look for him because he is their only hope of salvation. He is their only deliverer. Every sinner who rejects the gospel shall look for Christ to be delivered by him. But they shall not find him and he shall not hear them. And it is not good not to be heard. That is the worst thing that will ever happen to you. To cry out for help and never be heard. And continue to be in your situation, crying out for help, but never be heard. And they shall not be heard. And he won't come to rescue them from the fire. In John 7, verse 33 and 34, Jesus said the same thing. And he said, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am... You cannot come. Impossible. You can't. Because they have not received him. He is now going away. And if he goes away, they've lost their only hope of ever being lifted out of their real problem. Their sin and not sins. Pay attention to the wedding of sin and not sins. Sin is used here in the singular and not plural. And that's theologically important. Why not say, die from their sins? I thought we had a lot of sins that condemn. All sins come from one sin. And it is unbelief. Unbelief. And Jesus says, the sin that will condemn you to death in this below place is unbelief. It is not adultery, it is not stealing, it is not murder, it is not coveting, but unbelief. Why? Because unbelief is the summary of all sin. All sin comes from unbelief. And if you don't believe, you see how Jesus connected your sin, unbelief, and dying and not being able to come to him. The central thing there is believing in him. Why? Because it is only by faith. Only by faith. And not works that one is lifted out of condemnation. Jesus is stating the condition of salvation. And saying, if you don't believe, you shall remain in this condemned place. But if you do believe, you are justified. So it is by faith in Christ alone that one is justified before God. And it is, as we know, by faith alone that one can please God. And if one does not believe they have refused the only way, God justifies sinners from their sin. And there's nothing that can be done for them to be saved. So the sin, singular, is of rejecting the Son. See the connection. The sin is singular because it's connected with your refusal to believe in what the son is saying about himself. And Jesus said this, the same thing in John 16, 7 to 11. He said this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And then Jesus explains and says, verse 9, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So sin again here is singular. And the sin is tied to not believing the Holy Spirit's witness of the Son. And if one refuses this witness, then there's no other way for them to be forgiven. And because one has refused to believe in Christ, who alone takes away sin, they can only die in their sins. They will seek him as they are dying, but will not find him at their greatest time of need. They will seek for him at the hour of judgment, but he will not advocate for them. Sin will continue to have power over them. Everything that sin brings, death and condemnation continues to be over them. And so he said, where I go, you cannot come. If they die in their state of unbelief, they cannot come where he is going. They have no ability to come where he is going. There's no city bus that goes to heaven. There's no taxi cab or train that goes to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. He is the one who receives you unto himself. That's what he said. He alone is the righteousness that takes you to heaven. He is the life that takes one to heaven. All unbelievers will die in their sin and will not come and cannot come where Christ is. Why? Because they refuse the only way out of sin and death. They refuse the way to life. They want to ride on the broad road with the rest. The narrow road is too narrow for their liking. They have many things to bring along. You see, a lot of people have a lot of things to carry. <laughs> and so, a wide and broad way just makes more sense. But Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. There are two gates here in view, the broad and the narrow. And they both have the same placard. They have the same label. They both say heaven. That's the assumption. Both ways, the broad way and the narrow, say, open this door, heaven. And many people, they love to be on the broad. To continue to live in sin means to continue in unbelief. In the claims of Jesus and in the claims of the gospel. As your only hope of salvation. If you continue to not believe that Christ is the only way of salvation. And his righteousness alone is acceptable before God. That is what it means to continue to live in sin. Because if you have come to Christ, 
Your sin is taken care of in Christ Jesus. You see, one can stop stealing because they were caught. <laughs> and probably they were beaten or went to jail. But still one believe in Christ. So the fact that you stopped stealing does not mean that your sin has been removed. One can be a very good moral person, as many of these Jews were, and as many as are even in our day. But they still don't believe in Christ. And that is the wide and broad gate. And Jesus says, you will die in your sin if you don't believe. So unbelief in the Son is the summation of all sin. But belief in the Son is also the removal of not just some of your sins, but the removal of all sins. Verse 22. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And so the Jews think Jesus has lost it. They think he is a mentally troubled man who wants to commit suicide. And so they said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. But this is Johannine irony. This is how John writes. The Jews are again preaching the gospel in their ignorance. They think by Jesus going where they cannot come, he was going to kill himself. They connect, listen to this, his departure. They connect the departure of Jesus with Jesus taking his own life. And that is exactly the truth. Jesus is going to depart from them. How? By death on the cross. Is he going to kill himself? Yes, he is going not to commit suicide, but he is going to achieve his own death. He is the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus gives his life willingly, not in an act of suicide, but as a substitute for the life of the sheep. And so he would say again in John 10, 17 and 18, Therefore my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I laid down of myself. I have power to lay down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. So where he is going, they cannot come. And the assumption is that they will, in the future, have need to come. But they will not be able to. And John also uses double meaning. And in the context of where Jesus is both going to the Father and is also going to the cross. So there are two goings. Jesus is going to the Father through the cross. He says, they cannot come to his place of death either. For no man is able to die to pay for their own sins. So where I am going to the cross, you cannot come. You cannot come and pay for your own sins. He goes alone to this place, but with those that are in him. Those who are in union with him as their surety, as their representative, as their substitute. For his ship, hear his voice, and they follow him, and they go with him. Listen to this. If these cannot come, 
if these cannot come to him now, they can't come with him to the place of sacrifice, the cross. They can't come with Christ in union with him to the cross. And that is a hard thing. And that is chilling because it means they also cannot be saved. Because it is only on his cross that their sin can be removed. And if they don't go with him now, they have no one to go with. There is no other acceptable sacrifice that is available for them to go with if they don't go with Christ right now. And my brothers and sisters, you need to go with Christ. You need to go in union with him. You need to believe in Christ Jesus. So if they can't come with him to this place where he is supposed to kill himself, that is to this altar, the cross, where sin is removed, they will not come to him even after the resurrection. And that's heavy stuff. That's the theology of John. Verse 23 and 24. And he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus says, The Jews cannot come because of their zip code. Because of their address. They are from beneath. And have a beneath problem. And those who are from beneath remain beneath under the forces that hold all those who are from the below. They will remain under the forces of sin, death, and condemnation. They are of this world. This world is a spiritually compromised and fallen place. This world is inhabited by those who love darkness, the ones who love their evil deeds. But Jesus, in contrast, is from above. He is above all things that beset the world. He is above all rule and authority. He is above sin and death. He is above condemnation. He is not of this world. He is not corrupt like it. He is not dying like it. And he is not influenced by it. And if you will not believe Jesus' testimony of himself, Jesus says, the wages, the consequence of that unbelief is that one dies in their sins and cannot come to where he has gone. And there are many people who are arguing and saying things about Jesus. I have some Facebook friend. I don't know if you've been reading my post. Just coming and arguing about things, about Jesus. Some other books, some other written things about Jesus that are not in the Bible. And saying that is the truth about Jesus. And yet they profess to be Christians. But when you do that, you are fundamentally denying that he is. They are denying that he is the son of God who alone takes away our sins. They are denying that the work of Christ alone is what saves a sinner. 
and yet they never stop being religious. Very religious. My friend is religious. <laughs> and they don't stop sounding very smart and very moral. They find some other makeshift religion to justify their foolishness. Some religion, some theology that makes them something very important. They think, like my friend, that he has ability to enter into the recesses of the light of God by fasting and praying and by some yoga class, by some false vision. But according to Jesus, they worship, but no, not what. They are still in their sins and will die in their sins. If you deny the testimony of Christ, you will die in your sins. Verse 25 and 26. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who has sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. See that the identity of Christ continues to be a thorn in this discussion of salvation. It's a big issue. It is because of this identity question that the Jews put him on the cross. But his claims to be the son of God is what really made the Jews irate. They hated Jesus for making that claim. But see this also, that the identity of Christ is tied to salvation. If one gets it right, according to Jesus, that's salvation. If one messes it up, they have denied salvation. Salvation is in the name of God. Salvation is in the name of God and Jesus is the name of God. You shall call him Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. But the Jews are still not satisfied with Jesus' claims of himself, and so they press him, and they're thinking that maybe he will tell them something different than what he has already told them. And so they said, who are you? Who are you? They're getting frustrated with Jesus. But Jesus sticks to his guns. The Jews want him to say, (laughs) I am kidding. I'm just the son of Joseph and Mary. But Jesus did not give them any new information to work with. He says, I am just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. My testimony of myself has not changed. The gospel has not changed. And that speaks to people who want to Say, okay, preach a gospel that applies to our own time. Contextualize that gospel because it happened 2,000 years ago. It doesn't really speak to my 21st century modern day American life. But Jesus has the same response. It is still the same thing that I've been saying to you from the beginning. And Jesus says, I have many things to say and judge concerning you. But for now, it suffices to say... He who sent me is true. And because he is true, I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. But the problem is, you do not know him. And if you don't know him, you can't know me either. 
So the problem is not in the Father or myself, but in you because you are hard of hearing. You are dull of hearing. And John says, verse 27, they did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. So what is being said? We're getting done. In the next three minutes. We'll see. What is John saying? What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is he, the Son of God, the Christ, you die in your sins. And where he has gone, you cannot come. The gospel is simple. It's calling you to believe on Christ. It's not calling you to work to end your salvation. And because it's calling for you to believe whatever your situation of life is has nothing to do with you being saved or not saved. Whatever circumstances of life that you found yourself in by God's providence have nothing about your salvation. The transaction of salvation is in this. You believe in the Son and you shall be saved. And many are causing others to stumble because they are attaching a whole lot of other conditions to say, oh, you have to go back to your other husband. You have to go back, get remarried to your other wife. And all these other things that men are trying to solve and attaching them as a condition of salvation. And that's not the gospel of Jesus. Jesus says, if you don't believe that he is the son of God, you cannot come where he has gone. Why? Because you need to be born again by the will of God and not of man to come to where Jesus has gone. You cannot come to Jesus by trying to obey the law because you can't. Your zip code makes it impossible for you to ever obey the law by yourself. You are from below, from beneath. You don't honor the law by half-hearted attempts to do it or even with a full heart at full throttle. You can't please God because of your zip code. You have a zip code problem. You are from below. You please God only by standing on the righteousness of his son. God loves Jesus. And true love is jealous. And guards the honor of the one that he loves. I'm telling the honest truth. True love guards the honor of the one that he loves. Jesus and his righteousness alone is the only way of salvation because God loves Jesus. And is jealous for him because God loves him and has given him all things that all should honor the son as the father is honored. He alone shall be exalted in everything because he is everything. Christ is all. But left to yourself, you and I are unwilling to come to Christ because there's nothing attractive about the gospel of grace 
unless God shows you and I that we are in serious trouble. Unless God comes and say, Crystal, come forth. Or Zacchaeus, come down. I shall be at your house. Sinners do not come to Christ unless they have been made alive by the Spirit of God. Sinners will not come to Christ unless they have been made willing. And God does not make all willing. But only those that he gave to his son, chosen in Christ according to the election of grace. Sinners want to make God fair. And they make him fair by weighing him on their own scales. And so they will say, no, all men are able to make a decision for Christ. Some are just more willing and smarter than others. And that, of course, is false. And contrary to Jesus' own teaching on salvation, sinners will not run to Christ unless they've been given the living water by Jesus. There's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes for you to come to Christ. Sinners will not come to Christ unless they have been baptized by Christ into the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Sinners will not come to Christ unless the Father draws them to Christ. You need to be dragged to Christ. Sinners will not come to Christ unless the Father reveals the Son to them. Christ has to be revealed to you or else you never see the beauty of this gospel. Sinners will not come to Christ unless he grants them faith and repentance. Faith and repentance are gifts that God gives to those that he chose in Christ. They are not natural to those who are from below. And so, if you have come to Christ, it is only because of God's grace, because beneath people, beneath people, are always bent and bowed down like that woman and will not straighten themselves up to look up to heaven. It is only by the grace of God that one can straighten themselves. It's only God doing it to cause you to look to his son or else you die in your sins. So praise the Lord for grace that brought you and I to Christ. Grace is amazing. A new kitchen is not amazing. Sovereign grace Gospel is amazing because it says, as you are in your filthiness, God has cleaned you up in Christ and there's no more condemnation. And if you die today, or even if Christ shows up today, guess what? You are going into everlasting blessedness in Christ Jesus. And Jesus says, this is the same message that I've been saying to you from the beginning. That's the message. Amen. I'm done today. And then we have another sermon that, that I meant to preach in Michigan. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll bring it back home and, and preach it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we 
come before your holy throne is always in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, that you may hear us on his account. That we may thank you for the grace that is in Christ. For the righteousness that is in Christ. And as people who are of the beneath, of the below, who are in darkness, in the wilderness, dying of thirst, those who were in the tomb like Lazarus, helpless to do anything. And yet by your grace you came and you spoke and said, Lazarus come forth. And Lazarus came forth. And we too have been issued the same command. And we have come not because of our will, but we have come by your power. By the power of your command. And any such who name the name of Christ have only come to him this way. There's no one who ever came to their own senses and chose Christ. For dead men do not choose Christ. Dead men cannot get out of the tomb. They are dead. And yet, Lord, after you raised us to life, you said, remove his clothes and let him loose. Let him loose. Set him loose. And we are here worshiping and praising your name because you have let us loose. All that which bound us, the law which bound us has been removed from us. The law which killed us has been removed from us. The tomb that kept us dead, the tombstone, the law that kept the tombstone on us has been removed. And we walk away free because of Christ. Our Lord, we just thank you for the beauty of this gospel. And I pray that you cause your people to always want to hear more. May you bless those who shall listen. Give them understanding. We honor you, we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.